It's good to see you. Uh, I will tell you that I don't, I don't know if I've ever had a larger gap between a sermon I've been commissioned to preach and how my life is going at the time. Um, the sermon is on suffering, and the last, you know, the last full week I missed because I was on a cruise. So I'm, <laughs> I'm drinking red wine, eating filet mignon, and thinking about this passage. It was a great disconnect. Um, so... <laughs> So we'll see. Um, I was tempted to just come up, shrug, say I got nothing. Let's <laughs> sing some more songs. <laughs> but I suppose that single people can preach on marriage because the scripture is true about what marriage is. And people without children can encourage parents because scripture talks about what parenting is. And so my assumption is that someone who doesn't suffer very often can speak truthfully from Scripture about suffering. And at the end of the sermon, I'm going to lay out, uh, I hesitate to say biblical truth, but I really think it is. Uh, I don't think that I'm making it up to, to let us off the hook. But I, I do think that during my study, we actually do suffer more than we think. Not just pain, because everyone goes through that, but this passage is particularly focusing on Christian persecution suffering, which most of us would say we don't have a clue about. Um, but maybe we do, and I'll get to that at the end. Um, I had an opportunity one time to get punched for Jesus. I've always regretted that I didn't take it. I was on a, I was on a train going from Krakow, Poland to Warsaw, Poland. I happened to to be sharing a compartment with one other man who had been a prisoner of war in East Germany. And when the wall fell, they let him go. They gave him a medal and said he was a hero. He was very bitter about this. And as I tried to talk to him about Scripture, he uh, was reluctant. And finally, the reluctance became aggression. And, and, uh, and then when he said, the Bible is rubbish, don't talk to me about the Bible anymore. And I didn't. And I thought, man, just one more word. And I know he would have popped me. And I, I could have come home from a mission trip with a, a black eye for Jesus, but I didn't. Uh, but most of us, unless you've taken mission trips, maybe don't even have an almost, right? We're just so far from this reality that First Peter is talking about, uh, but maybe not as far as we think, and I'll get to that at the end. So we're in First Peter chapter 4. We're looking at the last section of the chapter, verses 12 through 19, and we're going to ask God for help, not just to see truth, but also to be aware through the Holy Spirit of ways we can embrace the truth and experience the truth and have our lives changed because of the truth. So will you stand as I read 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 19. After we read the text, I'll pray, and then you can be seated at that point, and we will get into the text. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which has come, which, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Jesus, help us to be open to the truth of this scripture, but not just the truth factually, but the truth spiritually in, in our own lives. That this passage might impact us in a way that our lives change and we are molded into a better image of you. I pray that and hope that in Jesus' name, amen. So, three truths this morning, and the first truth is suffering should not be a strange surprise, but a shared experience with Christ. That comes from the first three verses, 12, 13, and 14, where Peter says, don't be surprised at this fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though some strange thing has happened. So, the very first uh, idea about suffering for Jesus Peter wants us to have is it's not strange. It's not ironic. It's not out of the blue. It's actually going to happen. You should plan on it and prepare for it. And he sounds very much like his Savior here in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus at the end of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, I don't think it's um, out of bounds for the imagination to think that while Peter's writing these words, he's probably remembering the words of Jesus that were similar that when suffering comes, we are to rejoice because we are, there's a credit to our account. There's, there's something good that's going to happen because of it. And it might not out of, be out of bounds either to assume that Peter's talking to himself, that he knows his life's in danger, that he knows that the likelihood of him dying for Jesus is high, and that he's telling himself, remember, it's not strange, yes, it's fiery, yes, it's awful, but it's not strange. Jesus told me this would happen, and as it happens, I can rejoice because, verse 13, I'm sharing in Christ's sufferings. I can rejoice, the end of verse 13, because his glory is revealed. So Jesus and Peter knew that there would be uh, Christian suffering, and they also knew what the appropriate response was. And, and you know this too. I mean, we know. Uh, if you ask someone, what's, the, what's one of the greatest times of your life? And you might even leave it at that, or you might be more particular and say, what are some, what are some of the greatest times of your life spiritually with Jesus? But even if you leave it open, what's, what's some of the, the greatest joy you've had in your, your life? And they think about it. Right around that will be a suffering. 
almost always. It's not an irony, it's a rule. I mean, um, I won't go through all four of my kids, but if I, if I think about one of the greatest moments with my firstborn son, it's kind of bad because it's right when he was born. It's not like it's been all downhill since then, Miles, but it was just, but the, some of the greatest delight, you know, you have your firstborn, but, but when he was born, the umbilical cord was around his neck and he hadn't been breathing and he was blue and he wasn't crying and we were terrified. We were terrified. And the doctor sweeps him off Mandy's uh, belly as I, I got to deliver him, which was really cool, and I set him on her belly, and he set him and takes him to a little baby crash cart in the corner, and we're asking, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, and it feels like 10 minutes, but it was probably only 30 seconds, and finally he cries, and I've never been so happy to hear a baby cry. You're so happy your baby cried, and it was, and so when I say, what's like the greatest interaction with your son, man, it was hearing the first time he cried, but it's only because it came on the end of suffering. I could tell the long river trip with, with Miller where we almost died. We, we were in the Angelina River for like 23 hours and made the Daily Sentinel actually the next day. And it was crazy. I got out with very little on. It was, it was the, a, a new moon and I couldn't even see the brush and literally as we worked through the brush, it ripped my clothes off. I could hear alligators slipping in and water moccasins. It was terrifying. He was very scared. We literally couldn't see the hand in front of us, couldn't, couldn't see my hand, and he was on my back in the water, and sometimes he would slip off, and I couldn't see him, and we'd call each other, and we'd find each other in the water, and be so glad we found each other, and, and so when the game wardens on top of the bank said, uh, hey, you need some help, because Mandy had called him and said, go search for my stupid husband who's out in the river, and, and as a, a, a man, you know, one of the, the, you know, he's on my back, we're hanging out on a limb in the water, trying to get a breath before we swim again, and I said, how long till the put out? Because, you know, if it's right around the corner, I'm finishing this thing. They're like, man, you're four miles away. All right, all right get me out. All right. <laughs> but, but when I think about that, and that's like, yeah, we, start, we brag about it now. Like, it was cool. It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> but it, it, when you suffer and you survive, it, it becomes cool. It becomes great. It becomes a good story later because of this amazing thing God does, this amazing miracle God does. He brings suffering, and I'm kind of getting to the second point, and I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate this later, but he brings suffering to carve out capacity for us to better enjoy him. And when the suffering leaves, the capacity to enjoy him stays. It's fascinating. And so when we go through the whole process, it's not as awful as if we just look at suffering. And Peter knew this, and Jesus knew this. So what happens is, it's, it's as if God holds us, God has us, right? We're in his hands, we cannot be plucked out. We love these promises of scripture. He has us, he's got us, we're his. And we also know that Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. And so, it's, and so it's as, as Satan pulls at us and as Satan desires us, he doesn't tear us apart. He enlarges our soul. As God is holding and Satan is pulling, the capacity to enjoy God grows. Jesus connected this process to the prophets to say, look, you've got great bragging rights because as you suffer, as you're persecuted for my sake, remember, so were the prophets who were for you. In other words, you are among uh, an elite list of people who also suffered Paul, uh, Peter here, because Jesus has now died, is able to take it to the next level and say, not only do you connect with prophets, sure, he wouldn't discount what Jesus said, 
But he says you are connected with Christ, that you share in his sufferings. And I can't even elaborate on that point, but to tell you that it's majestic, which is the church word for magic. It just, it's, it's miraculous, it's majestic, it's crazy. We don't exactly understand it. Um, Scott alluded to some majesty in the church when he said uh, the words of Jesus that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we know there's this magic and majesty that wherever you give, your heart will change and you will care about that more. So if you want to, if, if you say, man, I just wish I cared more about orphans or I just wish I cared more about formats, well, just start giving your money and just your heart will change. Where your treasure is, your heart goes also. And here's some majesty. I, I can't elaborate, but I got to state. When we suffer with Christ, Scripture tells us we're sharing in his sufferings. We are connected with his sufferings. And, and it's a majesty that we can't, even elaborate it's just a truth that we experience and and if you've been there you you know what i'm talking about but to elaborate it would break it it would be to dissect a frog you have to kill it and i, I don't know how to elaborate that but I, but i'm telling you it's true so suffering is not strange but a test given to us and we rejoice as we pass the test and suffering is not lonely but is shared with christ and we rejoice as we are filled with greater capacity to enjoy him. Truth two, found in verses 15 and 16. Suffering should not be because of sin, but a sanctifying experience for God's glory. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So sometimes we suffer because of sin. Certainly we know this. This one we can relate to, right? We, um, we betray trust and we lose a friendship. That would be suffering as a meddler, which Peter lists along with being a murderer and thief. But I assume that you know more about meddling than murdering and stealing. So I use that one as an example. We can suffer because of sin. But we're not blessed for that. Now, Scripture is clear we can be blessed in spite of that, right? We can, we can repent and Jesus forgives us. And then, and then we have what Scripture teaches and we are restored. And so here I want to draw a difference between what's happening there and what's happening in suffering. When we sin, then we repent. The blessing is that we can be restored we can be restored to the relationship we had with Jesus before the sin with amazing grace. And it's a beautiful thing, and it's a whole other sermon. When we suffer for not sinning, we are not restored but taken past where we were before the suffering. Do you see how they're different? One is an abandoning Jesus and then being brought back to Jesus. And it is glorious and it is wonderful and we experience it all the time. We're all sinners. We all sin. We all get restored. We love that. Peter here is talking about a sanctifying spirit where you're blessed because here you were not sinning and yet suffering came and that suffering is going to take you beyond what you were with Jesus before the suffering. 
And we do this all the time. We, let's just not talk about suffering. Let's just talk about everyday stuff. We do this all the time. We make plans to, to suffer on purpose. We just don't call it suffering. But we make plans to set something aside, which is what sanctifying means, to cut out or to set aside in order to move ahead. So we set aside some money to take a vacation. We set aside some money to make a large purchase. We, we leave food in the buffet trays. We don't eat 5,000 calories a day. I gained seven pounds on the cruise, seven. <laughs> I did the math, I was eating 5,000 calories a day. One of my prayers the last night as we grouped together is, Lord, thank you for a week of feasting and thank you, dear Jesus, we don't like, live like this all the time. I mean, it's just, how could you? It was a nice, wonderful week, but, but you can't live like that all the time, it's ridiculous. So you, we set things aside, and some of us, and I don't know, you're, it's, it's crazy to point them out because they're bigger than you and they can hurt you, but like some people even lift weights, like heavy weights, to like purposely inflict pain upon themselves for something better in the future. So we have this in everyday life. We leave food uneaten, we leave money unspent, we get up in the morning, some of us, I don't see any gold's gym, maybe a few, I saw some big muscles out there. Um, <laughs> because I'm going to make fun of you in a minute, but it's all in Christian love. <laughs> because, so, so this exists. What Peter is asking us to do is, and Jesus through the, you know, God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this text that Peter wrote, what he's telling us is, it's not an unknown philosophy or practice to understand that suffering has a purpose and that something better comes because of it. It's just something we don't apply to suffering very often, Christian persecution suffering. But it can be. So that so the suffering is like this spiritual weight lifting. I recently read a book, I was telling Dr. Gene Cagle about it over lunch one day. It's called Younger Next Year. It's embarrassing that I had to read this book. Um, I, I bought it when I was 36. I told myself I was going to read it when I turned 40. I'm in my 40th year. And it's written for men who have just retired, like uh, 55 to 70. But I like to be ahead of the game, so I thought, I'm going to read this book. And it's written by a medical doctor, because I was just in a, in a bad way. I was, I was taking arthritis medicine, cholesterol medicine, and, and the leave every day. It was in terrible, out-of-shape pain. So I'm not going to read and apply this book. And in the book, written by a medical doctor, I found a glorious sentence. It said that exercise is terrible for you. Awful for you. Exercise is awful. How there's, um, you've been waiting to hear that your whole life, some of you. That there's, there's evidence, like they, they take your, the muscles under a microscope after you work out and the muscles are like destroyed and de some of them dead. It's, it's awful. The worst thing we could do to our bodies would be exercise. And yet the book says we should do it six days a week for 45 minutes for the rest of our lives. Like, why is this? What's going on? And here, here's what the book, written from an atheistic, Darwinistic point of view, uh, says. But we know that it's because God is our creator. It says, when, when we purposely destroy something in our body through exercise, our body always sends more to repair than we lost. So however many cells die, you get like 1.2 of that many cells to come and repair. Isn't that amazing? And so we made a good point. Exercise is awful. It's awful. It doesn't do anything but destroy. But because it triggers restoration, it's good. The restoration is what's good. The exercise is horrible. 
without, with, like exercise without recuperation and restoration would be awful. We'd just drive, we'd, we'd drive ourselves down into a grave. But because our body has this triggering restoration, and so you can see where I'm going, I'm sure. Isn't it, you've experienced this. When we purposely suffer through spiritual disciplines or when we suffer through circumstances because we're Christians, our God always sends more to repair than the amount that we lost. Isn't that amazing? Always. And so that's what this is about, not just restoring, but verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Verse 13, why? Because his glory is being revealed. Verse 14, because you are blessed, because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. And so all that is triggered through suffering restores more than is lost. And so those crazy guys at Gold's Gym know this. That's why, you know, you see them do a rep. They can't even, bend, they can't even straighten their arms anymore. They're walking gingerly. They, and they're like so excited. Like, if you just see that clip, you're like, these guys are like, you know, too many roids that's gotten to their head. Something's going on. They're so excited. But it's because they understand the process of restoration. They know what's coming. And Peter's saying suffering is God's gem. It's, yeah, suffering by itself is awful. It's terrible. But as Christians, we know that God is dependable and faithful and always sends more then is lost. He promises not only to restore, but to build more into our lives. The promise of Jesus was tenfold, twentyfold, fiftyfold, one hundredfold. And Peter was aware of that process as he wrote. 17, 18, and 19 offer us nothing new, but Peter thought it was fitting to elaborate on the points he had already made, and so we will do that briefly as well. The truth three is that suffering should not be because of God's wrath, but an experience of surrender into God's hands. So we're told, verse 17 and following, that it's a time of judgment. It's beginning with the household of God. And then to reflect upon what's going to be the result for those outside the gospel who do not obey. Verse 18, for if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And then a conclusion, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So when we say we're not suffering God's wrath, it's very similar to say we're not suffering because of sin. When we say that um, it's an experience where we are giving ourselves to, to the hands of God, that's not different than saying it's a shared experience or it's a sanctifying experience. There's no new great insights here, but there is an elaboration in the form of a question that's interesting. That Peter asks in verse 18, if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Well, we know. 
what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. He'll be judged and experience God's wrath forever. And then God's wrath is, comes to them in a form of suffering and torture and eternal damnation. And I don't think Peter was asking this question to get a trivia answer, right? He, I think he knew his audience knew that answer as well. He's asking the question to make a point that relates to all this text. And I think the point is this. God judges. And God answers his judgment with suffering. And there are two ways it can happen in our lives. He can look at believers who obey the gospel, see wickedness or sin or lack of perfection, and sin suffering to sanctify them and make them more like him. Or he can see people who are not his, who've had the chance and life's over and they never claimed him and they don't love him and he sends suffering to them in the form of punishment. So he judges and then he sentences. And for those that are his, his sentencing is to make us more like him. And for those who are not his, the suffering is forever because there would never be a time where they can put a check in the box and say, I've suffered enough for not following Jesus. There's never, you can't suffer enough for not following Jesus. He's so great and he's so holy and he's so righteous that the penalty is never paid because the rejection of someone like that is so great. Okay, so let me try to conclude, I hope, in a way that you'll find encouraging, that you and I suffer as Christians more than we think. Why is that encouraging? <laughs> it's a, let me give you some encouragement. We suffer more than you think. But in the context of the sermon, I hope you get what I mean. What I mean is the passage has something to say to us. We can be included amongst those who are suffering. And here's why I think that. When, and you can look at this later if you want, I'm going to paraphrase it, in 2 Corinthians 11. In 2 Corinthians 11, there's a list that Paul makes of his sufferings. He says he was beaten with a whip five times. He was beaten with rods three times. That he's in constant uh, hunger, cold, and without shelter. Those we cannot relate to, probably. Probably, not, probably no scars on our back. Probably no, you know, been thrown out of our homes. Even though we know that all of these happen in the church globally, we have brothers and sisters around the world that experience those things. But he mentioned two other things that we can latch on to and maybe open up our, our ideas of how he thought suffering uh, could, could be explained. He said, shipwrecked and in constant anxiety for the church. So he mentioned two things as suffering, along with the other five. He didn't even list them last. They were in the mix. I skipped them. Uh, the shipwreck was like third. Well, the shipwreck just happened on his way, like he was doing mission work, but it had nothing to do with I mean, the ship wasn't targeted by pirates because there was a Christian on the ship. So, but he listed that as suffering, I think, because he wouldn't have been shipwrecked had he not been a Christian going on mission. So that, that kind of broadens, but the next one applies to us even more. He listed as part of his suffering the anguish 
that comes from being part of a local church and the love that you have for that local church that you would not have, you would not have that anguish if you weren't part of that church. And he listed as part of his suffering the constant anxiety for his deep desire for churches he loved to obey Jesus. He listed that as suffering. And while we know Christian suffering always is going to come to those who are most vocal and most committed to Jesus, right? You can avoid the suffering by just not following Jesus very aggressively. I will tell you that in America and in this church even at this point in time, the suffering, if you love Jesus, the more you love Jesus, the more you'll have the suffering. The suffering you might find yourself in the midst is anguish, anxiety, desire for a church to find itself in God's hands and, and find God's grace and be put back together. So we suffer when circumstances occur not related directly to us, but we endure because we're Christians. And we know this. The anxiety of, of, for the church is listed as suffering. And so here's what I want to conclude with. All of those promises you, you can relate to, you can find yourself in the situation you are right now with suffering you wouldn't have if you weren't a believer, you can find that right now in the place where you are, you will find yourself sharing with Jesus. You will find yourself in God's hands. You will find a capacity being carved out for you to enjoy God more. And as an outsider looking in, I'll tell you, I think you've been living up well to verse 19 that those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You've been suffering well. And you know that on the other side of suffering, years and years from now, when you talk about the greatest season in Grace Bible Church, it might be right on the other side of suffering. Jesus, I pray for that and hope for that. And ask, Lord, that we wouldn't run to suffering with some sort of sickness, but that we wouldn't run from it when it comes, because it comes to test us, and it comes as a way to allow us to share ourselves with you in your sufferings and to be placed into your hands and to have the Spirit of God rest upon us. Some amazing, amazing results. And I pray that as we suffer, we wouldn't just be restored, but that we would be brought past where we would be had we not suffered and that you would reveal yourself in a way that's exciting i ask that and pray that in jesus name amen